0: Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to A Thousand Tiny Steps. In this podcast, I share my stories of love, loss, triumphs, and tragedy as I continue to trace my steps backward and ponder what led to the death of my daughter, Molly. If you're ready to laugh, cry, shake your head in disbelief, or simply listen, and tie, buckle, slip on, or lace up your shoes, and join me as we begin our Thousand Tiny Steps. Hey, everybody. Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to episode 72 of A Thousand Tiny Steps. As I sit here in my original podcast room, my house is in a bit of upheaval right now, and the McGregors are here in the United States, so their house is full of screaming little children. So my quiet escape has not been mine for a few weeks, but it's sort of nice to come back here. And actually, the room that I'm sitting in was a playroom and a clothing room used quite a lot when Gracie and Molly were young. So it fits into the time frame in the time period of my life that I'm talking about. I call it the yellow room because it's yellow. That's where I am in the yellow room. If you're watching me, you can see that the walls indeed are yellow. As I've said in the last episode, this is a tricky season because I need to share a very, very traumatic experience in a way that doesn't cause harm to the people I'm talking about, even the ones that cause the harm. I need to balance it and I need to always own my piece of it, which I'm trying very hard to do. This isn't a oh my God, poor me scenario, it really isn't. But I do feel in an age where mental health issues are now being linked to scientific, you know, what's your brain and how it functions. It's a wonderful way to share experiences so that other people can benefit from them, if that makes any sense. Last episode, I talked about meeting my friend, Amy. When I re-listened, you know, I could do these things over and over again, and it was a bit negative in the sense that I shared a lot of really troubling experiences. I have to say, the first two years of that friendship, as equal as the rough times were, were the good times. Amy and I really clicked. We clicked really well. And so this episode, I really want to talk about the friendship. Because the first thing people will say when you're in an unhealthy or abusive relationship is, why did you stay in it? But the thing is, (laughs) when you love somebody and sometimes it's fine, you cling to the times that are fine. You know, in dealing with children who have been abused, they don't want to leave their homes. They love their moms and dads, but that's the person that's abusing them. So in my friendship with Amy, it was very, very clear, much more clear to other people than me that there were red flags. And I had people sort of warn me and I defended my friendship with her and her to the hilt because at the time it really fulfilled a need for me. I also am always very good at justifying or forgetting about, forgetting, I'm doing air quotes, the negative things when the positive things come along. I've done this actually in every relationship. And when you think about my life and my experiences, you know, I had a very, very trusting relationship with a relative that took advantage of that. And and so I learned at a very young age that sometimes the people you love don't treat you very well. And oftentimes children who have gone through Child abuse and such are willing to keep harmful people in their lives because it's sort of what they know. And so when I look at it, I'm just like, oh, sometimes I just shake my head. And I've been going through a really, really rough time emotionally. And when you think about it, I'm, I'm rehashing and bringing up a lot of negative things. And so I'm reliving a lot of those experiences. And it reminds me a bit of my lawsuit years where I was so caught up in the lawsuit and reliving every detail of Molly's death it kept me there. So when the lawsuit ended, it was like she died again. And so part of my reason for just deciding to come clean and tell all aspects of my story, good and bad, part of it is self-help, you know, really getting it out there, getting it outside of me. You know, I've been carrying around a lot. And then also just laying it out in a way that provides help for other people. I have not led a perfect life. Absolutely not. I've made terrible decisions over and over again. And I will Never, ever deny those. One of the biggest problems I have in this friendship with Amy and then later with Roy, what I don't like is when people say things about me that are not true. I will never deny something I've done, but I will not accept a lie about me. And sometimes truth manipulation and word change can be very, very difficult to navigate, especially when the people creating the word change are very, very good at manipulating reality so that it's enough true that they can say, this is what happened. And that was something that slowly crept into my friendship. Prior to that, really, when we first met and first became friends, I just found it wonderful. It was someone that really, you know, we were close enough in age. We had similar backgrounds, children in the same class. I had some wonderful friends in my neighborhood, but both both Jen (laughs) and then Sarah around the corner are much younger than me. And this was before the Newtons had moved in. And so Lisa... She's a bit older, and so when, when she moved in, I, did, I felt like I did have another connection in, in the neighborhood, but I didn't talk on the phone. I didn't have a lot in common with some of my neighborhood friends. I will say that becoming good friends with Amy put a big strain on my friendship with Jen in the neighborhood, and it wasn't actually Jen's reaction was relatively healthy. She just worried about me and saw that I was diving in, and this is something I've done again and again. I, I suddenly am surrounded and, and just fill myself up with a friendship. When I first moved home to Concord, it was, it was Meg. She was truly in need of all the time I spent with her, but suddenly that was my entire life, sort of all or nothing. You know, I've really tried to analyze that and look at that. When she and I became friends, I said to Kenny, I felt like I got said yes to the prom. You know, I felt like I just really, really loved Amy immediately, really quickly. And we connected and clicked. In the early days, I would say would be the full calendar year of 2006. Gracie and Morgan were still in preschool. And then the calendar year, you know, 2007 when they were in kindergarten. So 05, 06, and then 06, 07. Those two, I sort of categorized things by school years because I was a teacher at the time. And so it's how I measure time. New Year is in the middle of a calendar school year, so it doesn't seem like a, necessarily a beginning. We spent a lot of time together. We didn't do things like go out for drinks. That wasn't what we did, or go for coffee. We often talked about wishing we had time to do those things, but we didn't. Really, most of our time together was centered around the kids. Either activities, or playdates, or running. Running came along a little bit later, but we did talk on the phone a lot and I went to her house with the girls quite a bit. She would come to my house sometimes, but oftentimes, you know, her husband was a pilot, so still is a pilot. And so he was gone for chunks of time. So, you know, it's one of those things where I had this friendship that was a certain way when she was alone and then it suddenly shifted when Roy came back. That's not necessarily uncommon. You, You have the house to yourself with your kids and then Now suddenly your partner's back and you have a few days where they're there. And so in hindsight, looking back at it now, some of the differences were stark. Perhaps should have been a bit of a warning, but they weren't. When I look at my list of things that really, really I missed, I still missed that kind of friendship and loved about Amy right away, was that I had somebody that could talk about mommy time a little bit. Both Gracie and Morgan had significant educational issues at the time. And so we talked about that. We talked about teachers. We talked about You know, they were new here. Amy was new here. So places to go and things to do. And we spent a lot of time together. I do remember the one strife it caused was with my mother. And I talked about that. In the wintertime, you know, that first winter, we talked on the phone a lot. You know, it was just social things. You know, I got them sliding at Weiss Park. And so we we met for sliding one time. When the summertime came in the summer of 2006, you know, there's a pool within walking distance. And so many neighborhood kids from all around the park would come to the pool. And it was a pool designed for little kids with the buckets, you know, in the, in the big umbrella that rains down. And so we would bring lunches and we'd, we'd go to the pool in the morning and we'd sit and swim. And then we'd eat our lunch in the playground. And then we'd go back into the pool when it opened after lunch. And those were fun times. The girls loved to swim. Morgan was a fish, <laughs> much more so initially than Gracie, although Gracie and Molly got there. At that time as well, things with Kenny and I were going really well. Gracie's last year of preschool and kindergarten, and then Molly going into preschool. Those were happy times for us. His business was struggling, and we were having some financial issues. It was in that time period that we uh, redid our mortgages. I owned two homes at the time, the one where I'm living in now, and the first time I ever bought this little brick house on Alban Street, which I would love to buy again someday. I love that house. My parents were living in it, and I wasn't making money on it, but I wasn't losing money either, until we refinanced, and we had these 15-year mortgages, and we were, you know, we were five years in. I would have owned two homes. <laughs> we started to having some financial troubles, and Kenny wasn't super honest with me. He just you know, he had a, a big divorce settlement with his first wife, Karen, and he had to give her a ton of money, so he had to take a loan out against the business to do it, and of course, that ultimately decimated the business. And you know, Kenny is a much better worker bee than he is manager or owner. And so the business just started to tank. And it was at this time. So now I have this new friend who's taking a lot of time, which is super helpful, because it's someone that I can talk to. But at home things are secretly not known to me yet falling apart. And I remember going to the bank and the banker saying, Barbara, do not do this. Do not do this loan, this financial loan. Actually, that loan occurred when I was still pregnant with Molly. So let me rephrase, you know, reframe the fact that during that time, what happened was it was time for Kenny to take a loan out against the business because he could again and pay me back. It was during those two years, I think it was 06 or maybe 07, right around that time where he took a loan out and didn't pay me back. He paid a bunch of other stuff. That was our money that I would have taken $80,000 and put it toward a number of things, You know, cut down the mortgage a bit. You know, It would have helped us immeasurably and, and I never got it. That was a big issue. And these are things I shared unabashedly with Amy. And she shared things with me as well. Oftentimes our runs were total best friend bitch sessions about our husbands and what we didn't like I didn't spend a lot of time with Roy. Nor did she spend a lot of time with Kenny, but she spent a lot more time with us as a family than we spent or I spent with her as a family. When Roy was home, it was the doors were sort of closed and they had their family time. And that I understand Roy was the father figure in that family and so when he was home, he would either want to be working on things or having family time. And that's that's not an unpositive thing. What was odd to me sometimes was the change in Amy's behavior and it became clear to me that she really sort of behaved one way when he was home and a different way when he wasn't. And maybe that's true for everyone as well. I'm not passing judgment on it, but that I remember being a little leery of. As our friendship went along and we got more and more into activities together, the telephone time was often an issue. And what happened for me is that oftentimes it would be evening and it's a weekday evening. And I'm not sure how she managed to have free time or if she just talked on the phone while she did things, but I didn't want to be on the phone at night. I was away all day. I was teaching all day and then coaching. I had been surrounded by people. So when I got home, I really just wanted the home time. So that was often a bone of contention for us. She immediately assumed that I didn't like her or that she wasn't important to me. None of these things were true. And the constant reassurance was sometimes tiring because I just felt like she didn't believe me, I guess. And the other thing was sometimes in our conversation, she'd spit things back to me. So For example, um, we talked about, you know, I had been in AA for a long time, well, eight years in my younger years. And then, you know, I was an active drinker, not alcoholically at that time. And I said to her, what AA fixed for me was as a child, I, I was told by authority figures in my life to lie, to keep things secret. And I said, you know, I didn't have a hard time quitting the drinking. But when I really went through the steps, you know, it fixes everything. I mean, anyone with any issue could benefit from AA. And I said, it really told me I didn't need to make up stories or lie to be safe. And I remember her telling, coming back in a conversation with me and saying, well, you know, you're a compulsive liar. Like when we were having a disagreement, she would say, well, you you admitted that you were a compulsive liar. I don't know if I can believe you. And I'm like, I never said I'm a compulsive liar. No, I'm not saying I haven't lied in my life. Everyone in in this situation, Amy, Roy, me, we've all lied. <laughs> we've all been truthful. And so those were little things that went along. Some of my fondest memories. So I was big into birthday parties. So in April of 2006, so that was their preschool year, I always combined the birthday parties. So Gracie and Molly would have a big combined party and I would invite all of Molly friends. And all of Grace. It would be huge, all the neighborhood friends, their school friends. And so Morgan came that year. Her big sister came too. She would come a lot. She's super helpful. Teresa was unbelievably helpful. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? And she also loved the toys and things. I just got a kick out of watching her. She was just curious about everything we had this amazing birthday party and it was a blast and Morgan was a big part of it. And I think enjoyed herself. I don't know. But as Amy and I got to know each other, she would offer to help on these things and then ask for my help on her end. And I remember that being really a good thing. I think over the summer, because we have a big yard, the biggest yard in the neighborhood, really, we often had, you know, neighborhood parties in our yard. And I remember one summer, I think it might've been the summer after kindergarten, but it was in this two year time frame. We had a big party and it was one of the few times that Roy actually came over and we had a ton of people there and we had these little tykes, these little tykes playhouses in the yard and all the kids are running around, sort of have the women. And so I look over and, and Roy has all these kids piled on top of a playhouse and he's shaking it like crazy. Ah! And the kids are holding on and laughing and laughing and laughing. It was a blast. And that was actually, there's a graphic of Amy and me on the website and stuff or the podcast site and we're face to face. And that was the party. It was that party. I remember after that, it had just been such a good time. We'd all had so much fun that everyone really felt good about it. And it was a bit of a relief. I believe that was going into kindergarten. You know, that was an amazing time. So many birthday parties they were a part of in the three or four years until we were no longer friends, always were at each other's birthday parties. I remember Amy hosted a birthday party for Morgan. And so I helped her a ton. She put everything together, a beautiful cake, the decorations, the party favors, all of that. But in terms of orchestrating the children, as a school teacher, that's not a problem for me. And so I really, I really just took charge and orchestrated the party for her. And she was so grateful afterwards. And it was a lot of fun. We sang happy birthday so loud. Oh my gosh. And it was fun. And, and Amy did this amazing job. She invited John, the bus driver, and, and some other neighborhood adults. And it was just a wonderful time. And Roy was there. And this was a time that I really sort of took notice of him. Somehow the conversation got to ADHD, and I'm not quite sure why. He gave a big oration about why he thinks, you know, ADHD is overdiagnosed, which it very well could be. And, you know, that it's not an excuse for not getting things done. I mean, it was, it was just sort of as a special educator. I remember the bus driver, John, Mr. John, we called him and I sort of looked at each other and he just went off and off about all the books he'd read on it and all of this. And, And that will become significant later on because that was often his response to things that he disagreed with. And so, I remember just being off because he was sort of off to the side. He didn't really take part at all. And I remember it was late afternoon. He's you know, having a beer, which I guess it's fine. Adults can drink. But for me, when, when the party's about a child, it's about the child. And everyone should be involved in that piece of it. It's not an adult entertainment time. Although some birthday parties are. But I remember that as a significant time because I felt, I felt like we were just good friends. We were helping each other out. We had a lot of fun that first summer tanning in the yard. you know, She'd come over. It. She had this big, beautiful house, but no yard at all, really not a lot of space to play. And there wasn't easy inside-outside access, meaning in my house, you come in the porch and you're in the kitchen and the next room is the playroom. And so it was easy to run in and get toys and run out. And there was a lot of good interchange there. We had a huge driveway gated in, so riding big wheels. I remember Oregon's favorite thing. We had a big wheel, but it wasn't like a standard big wheel. It's a little bit smaller. It had like a handle on the back. You could push a child in it. And her favorite thing to do was ride that thing back and forth as fast as she could. Gracie didn't have a lot of interest in it. You know, Gracie would be sitting and playing with something. Morgan would be riding back and forth, back and forth, sometimes with a fire helmet on her head. We had wonderful times in the yard. It was just an easy place to play. And I appreciated that. We both read this book called The Secret Life of Bees. It's a heart-wrenching book about an abused little girl who accidentally kills her mother. They made a great movie out of it. And I remember reading it and sobbing at the end of it, just sobbing. In calling Amy on the phone, I was in my kitchen and just thanking her for being my friend. And she felt the same way. I have, I have these wonderful cards that she wrote to me and with the wonderful things. The, the one I remember most, it was these two women with flip-flops in their butts. And it was all about wearing a thong to the beach. <laughs> it was kind of funny. I really, truly loved so much about that friendship. It was a good thing. Amy was very, very Christian. Very, very Southern Christian is my Northern description of it. Although she didn't belong to or go to a church during the time that we were friends ever. I don't ever remember her going. I know that she did say grace at dinner. That was fine. I had no trouble. We, when we went for our dinner party, we said grace. I remember I was opening my eyes because the girls were, you know, the little ones were around and stuff and Roy was making faces, which I think he thought was funny. I'm not sure why, but I thought that was bizarre. Someone saying grace, you should be respectful even if you don't believe in God. Roy is an atheist. Nothing wrong with that either. I do feel that in that scenario, there was often competition. I don't know. I'm right. No, I'm right. You're wrong. I'm right. That kind of thing. Lots of different definitions of correct and right, I think. I remember one time somebody did something and Amy and I were a bit taken aback. It was in a social setting, maybe with kids. And she leaned and said, thank God for a good Christian woman like us. And I'd never talked about religion with Amy. I guess the assumption is anyone in America is Christian and I belong to the Baha'i faith. And so I told her a little bit about it, but religion wasn't a big conversation for us. It really wasn't. It was parenting. It was motherhood. It was, you know, household chores and and all of that kind of stuff. We really talked about the day-to-day grind of life. And it was really a wonderful, a wonderful thing for us. As the friendship went along and we got closer, her wanting to step in and overstep boundaries became really significant. You know, before I started talking today, I really, really looked at unhealthy relationships and healthy relationships, good old Siri, and the things that you should look for in friendships that are that are healthy. And the biggest thing in healthy relationships, foundation for healthy friendships, boundaries. And I've talked about this. I have a hard time with boundaries, not necessarily jumping over other people's boundaries, but letting people jump over mine. And I just have a long, long succession of it. when I look at friendships, like like when I think of my time coming back from BU and from Boston, so You know, jumping in with Megan and really letting that take over my life. She didn't consciously overstep boundaries, but I let every boundary I have down. I didn't create barbed time for myself at all. Oftentimes I went for my runs at midnight because I needed to get the run in and I had spent the whole day with Meg. So I look at how I jump in wholeheartedly to these friendships and relationships. Amy and I shared everything, and she really wanted one of those fluid friendships where she could just come over. I think she had a really, really good friend before she moved here. In the place she lived before. And they were neighbors, I believe. And she said, you know, it was just so great. We could just walk into each other's houses. And but for me, I wouldn't just walk into somebody's house. And I actually do remember a time where I went to her house and knocked and knocked and no one answered. So I walked in and it was a bit uncomfortable. And I wasn't quite sure why. Just said, Well, I knocked and knocked. I'm sorry. I apologize profusely. You know, the number of times that I came home and Amy was either in my kitchen or in my yard. And oftentimes it was dinner. A couple more than once I'd come in and Kenny's cooking dinner and Amy's there with Morgan and it's like what, what 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 you know it was really really just difficult sometimes i don't feel that the boundary piece of our friendship was healthy at all the other thing is communication so oftentimes i felt we had communicated things a certain way and when when we would reiterate what we had said she had a very very different outlook on it than i did i wouldn't say she was gaslighting me at all i just think she and i really looked at things differently and I would remember something one way and she would remember it another, which is also very, very common human behavior. A good example of this in our friendship consistently was she would insist I had committed to something and I would say, no, we talked about it, but we never said we were going to do it. As I grew into the friendship, I started realizing I really needed to be clear. Okay. We have not committed to this yet. More than once when, when I came home and she was here, you know, I was in the middle of 50 things. What are you doing here? You know, we didn't have a planned visit. And she would bring up, well, we said we were going to do this. Well, yeah, we talked about doing that, but we didn't do it. That was, that was difficult for me to navigate sometimes just because I didn't want to feel like, you know, I wasn't following up on my friendship. Another big memory I have that comes around boundaries and that comes around just my willingness to put myself out there in a way that doesn't come back. Roy's father bought him a boat. And so he drove it up here. He didn't tell Roy he was buying him the boat. He bought it and it got a good deal on it, I think, and brought it. And they did not have a yard or a space big enough for the boat. And so I offered behind our barn, we have this huge empty space. Now it's a beautiful lawn. We've made it a beautiful lawn. And I remember the time where I was like, no way, no way, no way. And I I really didn't mind. And my drive to do it was on some levels, as sad as this sounds, to prove to Amy and to them all that I was a good friend, that I was there for them. And so that boat, (laughs) we sort of joked about it like, yeah, we have a boat. I mean, there was a lot wrong with the initial boat. And so his dad found an identical boat and bought that as well. So now there were two boats. And I can remember Roy being very frustrated by this, but that wasn't my story to deal with. But while the boat lived in our house, <laughs> there was a lot of a lot of that family around, which was not a problem. I got to know Roy's dad really well. He spent a lot of time. He'd come over. He stayed. He came and stayed with them for a while. And he came to the yard and we talked. He shared all this stuff he knew about different trees and things. And oftentimes I would come home and Roy would be working on the boat. What happened more often than not is that Amy would send Morgan along with Roy. So whether or not anyone was home, Morgan would be playing in the yard. And we had a great yard for playing, so I didn't mind. But there were times where we had other things planned or something was going on. My mother had an activity with Molly and Gracie. And then there's Morgan all by herself outside. And so you don't want to leave a child outside, but you hadn't planned on a play date. But as we went along, really, really what Amy wanted was the ability to drop Morgan off whenever she needed to or wanted to. And it just, I had too busy and too structured a life to do it. And so now it puts the child in the middle. And that was incredibly difficult for me. That was probably one of the most difficult parts of our relationship was that. But I included both of those girls in everything I could. As Teresa got older and, you know, had more independence and could walk around a little bit and be with her friends outside of home. She would often stop by, and I loved that with her, with her friends. You know, all in all, it wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't always a bad thing. There were a couple of times I spoke on the phone with Teresa, just about this and that, nothing big. And oftentimes at the pool, it would be Teresa and Morgan. So I would always, always, always keep an eye out or have them sit with us at the lunchtime picnic or whatever. You know, we all want these friends. When your motherhood can be so isolating, and I think sometimes I felt that way. You know, my job at the high school was wonderful, but it. The community of teachers I had there. I started at Concord High School in the fall of 2004, and so I had only been there a year before I met Amy. And my first year was terrible. I wasn't the candidate that the health department wanted, but you know, the you know the PE in health they did not want to hire me at all. There were a couple of people in that department that I don't know why because I didn't know them. I just they just didn't like me or I rubbed them the wrong way. That's not abnormal either. But the principal of the high school at the time, Gene Connolly, really really wanted me to have the job. And so I, I I did a sort of a practice interview for a special ed job at the high school and nailed it. And they really wanted me to take that job. But special ed at the high school level is hours and hours and hours of paid work. In hindsight, I might've been better off taking it, but I didn't. Gene offered me the health job and I took it. And I, at the time, I thought it was the right thing. The Connellys moved to Concord the year I was pregnant with Molly, 0203. And Allie ran for me, I had a nice connection with that family. Patty, Allie's mother, was very, very doted on and was very involved in Gracie and Molly's young, young life. And, you know, it just seemed like this is a good idea. I should know, cause he always said, why don't you teach at the high school? And in terms of coaching, it was wonderful. So I had a lot of change in my life all around this time. Needing to sell my house on Alban Street. Eventually with the money situation at home, we had to sell the house. A new job that was very, very stressful. I had a very, very blank classroom the first year. No posters. I had no curriculum at all, nothing. I had to get another teacher to sort of unlock the door and, and show me some things. And then the gentleman that taught across the hall from me offered no help, no help whatsoever. Didn't even speak to me. He was a teacher named Russ Young. He just didn't speak a word to me, zero. And when he left, he had to leave early in the year. His wife was sick and he had to stop teaching in a permanent sub came, who ended up taking the job, Julie. And she opened this cabinet and the curriculum and posters, material that he withheld was horrifying. And I just think, why do people act this way? And what is it about me that causes them to treat me this way? Because it isn't uncommon in my life. Gracie and I just did a funny TikTok about, am I the drama? I'm not the drama. Am I the drama? It was just really funny. And I ask myself that all the time. You know, What is it that I do that draws drama to me? Because I don't like it, but it is something that either I jump into or it follows me a lot. All at once, I have a change in jobs and I really missed the small community of Walker. I really, really cried and cried and thought I'd made a big mistake. And I think in hindsight, I probably did. And then this new friendship. So now what? You know, I know I have this friendship that's now slowly overtaking my life. In these two years of first being friends with Amy, all of my other friendships struggled and became strained. And at the time, I really thought there would be a group of us to be friends, but there was just enough off about Amy. And when I say off, just her unwillingness to sort of appreciate boundaries. She shared with me once that she would go and have tea with the husband of a woman up the street. She would walk up the street, knock on the door and sit and have tea. I don't know if he worked at home or what, but she would say these things and I would get a bit jealous. I think I mentioned this before. Later when I would speak to the spouses about these things, they were really troubled by it. It was just odd. And so that began to sort of niggle at me a little bit. The final thing that really, really was a struggle for me in our friendship was how much she didn't want to, it appeared that she did not want to be with her kids. And so it was a lot, a tons and tons of time that they were with me or with somebody. And that ding, ding, ding was a bit of a red flag. You know, when I look, go back to healthy relationships, boundaries, communication, trust, you want to build trust with somebody. I jump right in and trust people immediately. And I think both of us trusted one another. Again, as our friendship went on and I, and I started to have my, my doubts, or maybe I seemed like I was pulling back a bit, she would jump in and cling. And she was very open and honest with me. I have abandonment issues. And when you when you don't respond to me, I feel like you don't like me anymore. So that was a very big thing. She was open about it, but nothing really ever changed. And then finally, consent. So we think of consent as sex, and that's very true. So in a romantic relationship, consent is a huge piece of the puzzle. In a friendship that isn't romantic. So consent for me, when I think about it, would be you know, her putting Gracie in a bathtub and assuming that that was okay. Or being at my house at a very, very inappropriate time and then not leaving for an hour, an hour and a half. There were times that that I just didn't understand it. And as we got into the running scene, some of those behaviors were exacerbated or became more clear, but running was fun. I liked to run in road races when I brought Amy along. And one of my favorite memories is we ran a road race in Canterbury called the Woodchuck Classic. (laughs) And it's a small summer road race and she won our age group. It was exciting. We each won a prize. And it was just so, it was just kind of one of those fun bonding times. Like I really liked it. It was a really fun time. To wrap up this, all of us want friendships. All of us do. When I talked in my New Year's Eve story, I talked about my, my friend Jackie from childhood, and she was just somebody that always made me feel safe and okay. My friend Suzanne was the same way. We had some things that kept us guarded just because our home lives were so different. But until she became super involved with the Jehovah's Witnesses, Suzanne was one of my biggest lean-ons growing up. My friend Sally, you know, that was another one. We'd pick up the phone. There wasn't texting and internet and all this kind of stuff back then, Facebook and all these things. The only way you communicated was handwritten letters and the telephone. And I have a box, a shoebox full of handwritten letters from Sally. These are friendships that you just love. And as as you go along in life, it can be very, very difficult to, to get them or to keep them. And so those first two years, my friendship with Amy really was a gift. It was something that I loved, something that I needed in my life at the time. When I talk about a thousand tiny steps and how one little action can change the trajectory of your life, that note in the backpack changed the trajectory of my life. While my friendship didn't cause the bad things to happen, the things that came of the friendship set the the ball rolling, so to speak. You know, when I look at the friendships I had in college, you know, Marty. So Marty and I were fierce competitors in high school. We became unbelievably good friends in college, such good friends. I had a couple of friends not on the track team that I was friends with, a girl named Brenda and a girl named Barbara. And I met both of them working at a radio station when I was in Boston. I worked at at a radio station doing media research. I had to call people and ask them questions and play them music clips and stuff. It was just interesting. But Barbara went to BU, Brenda did not. Brenda and I ended up becoming roommates and kept in touch for a long, long time. So I've had these wonderful friendships in my life. You know, I really have. I've been incredibly lucky. I had a good friend named Lori who got married and moved to the Cape. And she and I clicked a lot during my Nike Boston years. So getting married now suddenly is surrounded by family and it can be very isolating. You're with your partner and the children all the time. And in my life, I was busy, 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 busy. So my home time was important to me. And Amy was alone a lot with two kids in a big giant house. And I remember at the time thinking, God, you're so lucky. And now that I've had periods of time with Jack-Jack where I'm home and just sort of home here, I realize how frustratingly difficult it can be to be by yourself all the time and to sort of be told what to do. I think if it were Amy's house by herself, she wouldn't have had a toy room on the third floor. She would have had it wherever it needed to be. And I think there were a lot of things that she did to make that marriage work. At least that's how it looked to me at the time. I would come to find out more in later years, but at that time, that's how it looked. Another really good memory I have during these times. So on Roy's side of the family, some of his nieces or nephews, and one of his nephews came to visit. I'll call him Frank, Frank came and he was the sweetest kid. And I remember Gracie went over to play, not Molly, and they had a blast. Oh my gosh, he really set up some fun games. They're all hiding in a closet. They were just super busy and Gracie had a wonderful time. And that was when I felt sometimes in that moment with the children all having fun and everybody happy with everything that Amy and I were at our best. And I know that she would be at our best at that time. There was a big piece of her that loved being a mother. And in the times that Roy was on a trip, the house was a disastrous mess. Which, which isn't something that Roy could handle at all. And I do remember on more than one occasion, massive quick cleanups so that the house would look good when he got back. And another thing that was a lot of fun for us was snow management. You know, when you've grown up in New England, managing snow is no big deal because you do it all the time. When you move into New England from places south of here, you know, it snows in a lot of places that Amy had lived, but the snow melts in a day or two. So you don't really have to do anything with it. Shoveling her driveway was always always a task. There are a few times I helped her do that as well. But I really didn't mind. I just didn't mind. It was a really good time. I'll begin to wind down here. And I think we are not meant to be alone. We are not, as human beings, meant to be isolated all the time. I think social media and being able to connect online has been a huge help for people that truly do like being alone. But when you're alone in your head all the time and you really are never interacting with people, that can be unhealthy. And I do think. You know, back in the day, a lot of the phone calls from Amy were just heard. You know, just jonesing for an adult conversation. But the problem was, I spent all day talking to people, and so we were very, very opposite in this way. I didn't want to talk on the phone. I wanted to be with my family. I wanted to stop talking to people, and so that was a bone of contention for us. But having good friends is important, and for a long time, Amy was a good friend, and I feel that I was a good friend to her. And when I look at my life since that time, she really probably is my my last good friend in many ways. I've had a couple of others. So maybe I'll retract that. In looking at the years that have gone by since that time, I've had a couple of other good friends that ended up being very similar to that friendship and and to Amy. So I clearly have a type. Anyway, as the snow continues to fall here in New Hampshire, as I wrap up my friendship episode with Amy, the beginning of a life-changing experience, I just want to say, make sure that you're a good friend and make sure that your friends are good to you. Do something good for yourself first and then do something good for someone else. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting the podcast. Feel free to leave a review and to share my stories with your friends. Please reach out with your own stories. I love connecting with my listeners. If you want to see what I'm up to next, you can find me on Instagram at barb 444. On Facebook as Barb Higgins and at my website, a thousandtinysteps.com. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter a weekly way to find out what's up in the life of Barb Higgins.